and uh, I'm excited to say that the days of our wilderness experience, that's what this is. The Bible tells us that the people of Israel, when they were led by God out of Egypt, they were set free. We came out of that room, we were set free, and we could have lots of people here when the COVID lockdown hit, praise the Lord. But then we were in a wilderness like the people of Israel, and we're about to enter into a promised land. Can you make a shout out to Jesus? Those of you that have been setting up and packing down know what I'm talking about. You're very appreciative of that. God is so good. I, I got to tell you, if you have walked around yesterday, a bunch of us went to clean up. The TVs are, are on the room. Everything's starting to come together. It's looking really, really nice. We're very excited. The electricians will come, and they will finish up on uh, probably Monday, Tuesday completely, and uh, it's all up to Marty now and team uh, to be able to lay uh, carpets and to paint, not in that order. Paint first, lay carpets, and I do want to encourage you. Many people came to me and said, Pastor Paul, I would love to help out, and so can you come and see Marty? That's you, and you can help out. So we're painting first. We've got to do the skirting, finish painting the rest of the walls, and then we're going to be getting into laying of carpets. So that's the last piece that we have to do, the laying of the carpets. So everything else has been in place. We're organizing uh, hearing augmentation for those who can't hear. It's a legal requirement. Uh, we can't build a stage just yet because we just want to get it across the line. And apparently, according to legal uh, rules, you can only have a stage 20 centimeters high. Any higher, you need fire sprinkler systems. We thought, we don't have the money. You don't want to spend money on that. So just bear with us as we bring things together. But it's very, very close. It is imminent. It. We're about to walk into a vision that we've had for quite a while. And so what we're going to do, just uh, as an FYI as a church, so we're going to move into the new building. It's going to be a soft uh, launch of the church again, a relaunch in the new building. Only we know about it. But we're going to advertise our birthday, which is the second Sunday of June. And we will be inviting the mayor and the councillors of our city. We've got members of parliament. We've got dif different dignitaries will come and join us. And we're going to relaunch the church big. And I really want to encourage you to tell your friends, invite your family members, particularly those who are not attending church right now. Invite them to come for this big relaunch. It's going to be big. It's going to be huge. And I'm very excited. If I know my friends from Waterbrook Church, they will probably come and join us for that day. So it's going to be packed in the house. We have uh, bought 200 chairs. And so I will get them delivered on Friday week when I'm expecting all the carpeting and everything will be done. Are you excited about that? It's going to be good. Let me tell you, it's beautiful. Well, turn with me in your Bibles now to the book of Joshua chapter 6. So speaking about uh, leaving a wilderness experience and entering into the promises of God, entering into the promised land, we are, I feel, we're just aligning with Joshua and the things that they had to do to prepare themselves to enter into that land. Joshua and chapter 6 will select portions from this particular book. But we're going to be reading from verse 1. While you're turning there, I really feel that we should be praying for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. It's a terrible time now, and I really appreciate Pastor T sharing that, that uh, facts. And I'm seeing more information out there this morning as I was going through my Google Mail, my Google News. Uh, there's a report saying that uh, 
Putin is going to go and sit down with major European leaders to talk terms of peace. I don't know what that looks like, but I feel that the prayers of the saints are being heard. Now, uh, Bruce McLean, who's not well here today, uh, according to the statistics he gave us, 90% of the Ukraine, just listen to this, I don't know of any other nation like this, 90% of that nation is saved. Can you, you get that? Uh, 80% are Eastern Orthodox, 87% Eastern Orthodox, oh sorry, 87% Eastern Orthodox, 3% are Christian, uh, sorry, Pentecostal or, you know, otherwise Christians like us, and another 10% are Catholic. So 90% of a nation know the Lord. They're all praying. They're openly worshiping the Lord, and you're going to see footage of that. But we as a church need to pray for brothers and sisters. So can we do that just this one time? I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we pray for them, just solemnly. Would you pray with me and not be quiet? We're going to pray for that nation of Ukraine. We're going to pray for the flood victims in our area as well. Come on, let's join with me in your prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus as we lift up a nation under turmoil. Father God, your word says that righteousness exalts a nation, and we declare the nation of the Ukraine is exalted in the eyes of the world. They were once hidden, but they're being revealed now in the needs of that nation. And Father, we pray that you would send angels, Lord God. We add up prayers to those who have gone on before us to pray for this nation. We pray that angels would be released. We pray for the power of God to be over that nation, Lord God. Continue to do what you are doing, Lord God. We pray that the missiles will not hit their mark. We pray that they will run out of bullets. We pray the fuel will let them down in those tanks. And we pray, Father God, you'd bring the army of Russia to their knees. We pray, Lord God, and add our prayers to those, uh, Christ, uh, those Christian Russian soldiers who refuse to fight their pacifists when it comes to the Ukrainians. And we pray blessing upon them in favor. We pray this will catch across the entire army that they realize this is not right. And we pray for freedom for the nation of Ukraine in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we lift up those who have lost everything in the floods. Lord, in Goodna, in Brisbane CBD, in Ipswich, Lord God, all the way to Toowoomba and others, Lord God, we pray that there would be restoration. We pray, Lord God, that aid would come. We pray that Christians all around this area, Lord, will be ministering to those who've lost much. We pray for the generosity of people to reach those in most need. And we pray, Lord God, that you would have your way through the situation. Oh God, who controls the rains. We pray, Lord God, for the rivers and the floods that have increased to now dissipate in the name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen, amen. I know what you'd you want to clap your hands because it's a sign of victory to the Lord. Thank you. You can find your seats. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes as a church, we can forget what we're about. And we get caught up in the trappings of church. And very quickly, it could be our problem as well. When we go into a new building, there's lights. You're wondering, like, we've got subwoofers, we've got things like that. We don't even have a screen for you because they've already stuck it on the wall in the new auditorium. So <laughs> praise the Lord. So put up with it a couple more weeks or one week even. We don't know yet. But uh, it's happening. Let, read with me Joshua chapter 6 and verses 1 to 5. A shout out to those who are live streaming this morning. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king 
and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpet of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. You see that seven repeating itself? With the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, this is on the seventh day, have all the people give a loud shout that the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. Go to verse 8, please. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, their shofars, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. Verse 9, the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. There's a din, a sound going out, a wailing through the shofars. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. A transition of leadership has taken place in this nation. Moses had led the people of Israel for 40 years. And I want you to figure this one out. At the age of 80, God called Moses. If you're getting, getting those gray hairs, I want you to know is at the age of 80, God called Moses. All the, all the guys with the gray hairs are smiling now. Yeah, God's got a place and a plan for me. Amen. The Bible says he served them for 40 years, and then God took him, right? He, he passed away. But Joshua, take a wild guess how old he was when he took over. 80 years old. You remember he was 40 when he was one of the spies that went into the land, and because of their doubt, because they sowed unrest among the people, they had to pay f uh, for every day they were in that land, spying it out. One year for each day. There were 40 days that the spies were there. So 40 years, God had to call a generation of people that refused to hear the words of the living God. I want to tell you that when your ears are not listening to the word of God, when you rebel against the Lord, there are consequences. God is a God of grace. He can restore all things. But can I say to you as your pastor, I implore you to hear the word of the living God. You can go about your life with stoppers over your eyes and plugs over your ears, not seeing the Word of God, not hearing the Word of God, and you are living your life like every other pagan person on this planet. That is not the calling of God for your life. Can I declare to you that you are kingdom citizens, that you have a plan and a purpose for your life, and that plan is great, but you can only do the supernatural. You can only do the extraordinary when you are hearing the voice of God. Some of you are too quiet this morning. I'm preaching better than you are listening this morning. I want you to respond. I want you to encourage me. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That there are things that God has for you. There are things that have been planned before you were born, 
that if you give an ear to hear and an eye to see the things that God has for you, they are little things, but they are extraordinary things. When you do the things the Holy Spirit tells you, there are ramifications in the spirit realm that will break out into the physical realm. I'll give you an example. Does anyone know who is the man that saved Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of our time? No. But heaven does. That man was a farmer. He drove a tr- he had a truck, and he had young Billy Graham, a teenager, and one other guy. And they were working on his farm, and they wanted to drive the truck. They wanted to learn how to drive. He did a deal with them. He says, if you will drive me to this meeting and attend with me, I'll let you drive. One of you can drive there. One of you can drive back. As a result of one simple hearing the voice of God, just get into my truck. You drive. They were saved, and a great and mighty revivalist was raised through Billy Graham. Does anyone know who D.L. Moody is? Who saved D.L. Moody? Who saved D.L. Moody? Who brought him to the Lord? We don't even know that. He is actually mighty preach himself. But D.L. Moody became one, again, the greatest evangelist of his time. Let me tell you a story about D.L. Moody. It's not in my notes. I really feel I need to share this with you. One, D.L. Moody had made a plan with the Lord, a vow. He says, I will not Go to bed at night. I will not rest until I bring at least one person into the kingdom every single day. And so D.L. Moody had gone down. It was, a, it was a wet night. He had a long day. He was tired. His bones were tired. He lay down in his bed to rest, and the Holy Spirit woke him up. What happened to your vow, Dwight? You said that you'd bring one person to the kingdom every single day. I didn't get one person today. And D.L. Moody, according to history, rumped, got up, just grabbed his robe. He was in his pajamas, grabbed a robe, put it on top of him, went out into the street with an umbrella, found the first person, and preached the gospel to him and led him to the Lord. And then he went to bed, and then the Lord allowed him to rest. When you hear the voice of God, he's going to ask you to do something that may be normal and nothing that extraordinary, but I want to tell you, it will be extraordinary. When you serve the Lord, it is extraordinary. This morning in our time of prayer and worship, uh, I was just acknowledging some of the work that, uh, I'm sorry to embarrass you guys this morning, but Marty Isaac and Brian and Chris Wareham, you know, they probably drive the furthest, about four, is it 30 minutes away, something like that? But they come regularly early serving us week after week. This man comes at 6.30 in the morning to set up our sound. No one knows. I just thought I would do that to you, draw to your attention. And they don't even understand the impact that they're making by one simple action because they obey the voice of the Lord. Let's keep going with our notes. I want you to get this and write this one down, maybe in the collar of the person next to you if you don't have note paper, but write this one down on your phone otherwise. If Jericho didn't fall, Israel would not go on to possess the land. Let me say that again. If Jericho, the first battle that that Joshua had to lead the people in, if Jericho did not fall, the people would never enter into the promises of God. Wow. Let me see if I can give it a bit better for you. Jericho had to fall. It was very, very important in God's currency in the way that he was strategizing for the people. If they got a taste of victory in battle, If they could understand that God is battling for them, they would begin to have the confidence to realize, if I can do Jericho, I can take down every other nation in this land. Seven nations. 
Interesting that number seven keeps popping up. I want to tell you this and write this one down. There are some battles that are worth fighting for. Some of you think to yourself, oh, it's just too hard. My children won't come to the Lord. They are so lost. There are some battles that are worth fighting for. Keep praying, sister. Keep praying, brother. Don't stop doing these things. God has put you into this planet for a purpose and a reason, and they have a purpose and a reason. And unless Jericho falls, unless that stronghold is broken, their destiny can never be unlocked. I feel I'm prophesying to someone today. Jericho was a stronghold. It had insurmountable walls, high walls. It was built into the side of a hill. Let me give you some information. Jericho was actually a valley. They had to go down, the plains of Jericho. So you came up from Jerusalem. That's why the Bible says, when it, the temple in Jerusalem, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, because you had to go up. It was a mountain, actual mountain. That's where Jerusalem is. And so to go to Jericho, they had to go down. The story of the, the Samaritan that rescued that guy that got beaten up, he was on his way to Jericho going down when thieves and bandits came upon him. Same place. This is a very strategic location. But they were on a hill, on a precipice. And what happened was they built ramparts on the hill, and they created these gigantic walls. And what they would do, they were so big, they ended up making homes out of them. You could drive chariots around the walls of Jericho. This is not a small wall. It's a significant wall. Clearly, the people that lived in the walls were poor because we know Rahab was a prostitute. So the people of low character, lower socioeconomic, would live there because the first place of attack would be the walls. But the walls are insurmountable. That's why you get this idea of a stronghold. Let me keep going. The land was so good up there because there was plenty of water, so they, they were not short of drinking water. Neither were they short of food because the grounds there were green and lush, according to historians. And so outside was desert, but in Jericho was lots of life, lots of water, and they could sustain a very long battle. They could stay there. They were self-sustaining. Answers in Genesis states, humanly speaking, it was impossible for the Israelites to penetrate the impregnable bastion of Jericho. And there you have it, the very definition of the word stronghold. It is a place that is fortified so as to protect it against attack. This is Oxford Dictionary. But I want to say this to you today. Every time God speaks into the physical realm, he's speaking into a spiritual realm as well. When you read scripture like this, look at the metaphor. Look at what it's trying to say. You see, strongholds are not only physically impenetrable walls, but they can also be insurmountable mental walls, mental blocks, a place, this is going on, Oxford Dictionary, where a particular cause or a particular belief is strongly defended or upheld. I want to put it to you today that everyone everywhere has a mental stronghold of one sort or another. Things that they say to them, I can never do that. I could never achieve for something like that. I guess this is my life. I guess this is as good as it gets. Can I tell you right now, in the kingdom, it gets better. Come on, you are so quiet today. It gets better. But have you ever tried to talk to someone who has a mental stronghold in their life? 
I remember I was mentoring a few guys, um, I still do, many years ago when I first started as an associate pastor. And one particular young guy, he was about 16 or 17, he wanted to be mentored by me. His name was Travis. And Travis said, Pastor Paul, could you mentor me? And I said, well, Travis, you know that I insist that anyone that I mentor has to read through the Bible in one year. And that when you read through the Bible in one year, you are supposed to journal every day. You do the SOAP journal reading plan. It's the greatest way that I can see you grow. SOAP stands for Scripture. Find that one scripture from your reading today. O is observation. What is going on in the story that drew you to it? A is application. What can I do with what I just read to apply it to my life, to change it? And P is for prayer. And so he said, yes, I will do it, Pastor Paul. And I'm thinking, you won't. You don't have a track record. You haven't done this. You haven't been faithful with anything. There's a stronghold in your mind. And if I can put it this way, there was a spirit of stupor upon him. That's how the Bible calls it, a spirit of stupor. I just call it a spirit of stupid. This kid refused instruction. This kid refused correction. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe they're sitting next to you right now. Don't look at them. Just look straight at me. <laughs> but I said to Travis, I said, Travis, you keep telling me these stories about how you fight. Oh, but Pastor Paul, it's not my fault. I just end up with people wanting to fight me. I said, listen, brother. There is a spirit of violence upon you that if you don't yield and give that to the Lord, the stronghold on your life cannot be broken. And you will continue to end up every place you go, ending up in a fight. And one day it's going to bring you into trouble. Not one year later, so he must have been 17, he turned 18. And sure enough, someone provoked him in a fight. He couldn't help himself. He got into it and smashed this guy. He was a good fighter and ended up in prison. A stronghold that simply could not be broken. So the stronghold was not just a physical stronghold. The Israelites are looking at an insurmountable wall. They're literally, literally looking up and thinking, how are we going to get up that without first being taken out? They can see us. They have the high, the high vantage point. They're going to take us down. No army would attempt such a foolish move. If you're wondering about the title of this message, it's Jericho Must Fall. Some of you, you've got your strongholds there. That's your Jericho. Jericho must fall. Perhaps in your mind you're picturing right now Jericho is on a flat land, and the people of Israel are marching. So you know what was happening, right? These men, there was an army in front. There was the Ark of the Covenant with priests holding onto it. There was an army behind them, and they were going around the walls of Jericho. In your mind, you pictured it as flat, didn't you? It's not flat. I just told you. It was built across a hill, and they had to climb up the hill in their marching to get around it. By this time, they'd be exhausted after one trip around Jericho. 3,000 people, the, the theologians say, lived in that city. 3,000. And they're walking around the city, climbing up hills to get there. Imagine how difficult it would be. I want to tell you, when you are breaking down strongholds, it is a difficult thing to do. I know that. The Bible is telling you that. But there are secrets to breaking down strongholds that I want to share with you. Let me tell you the first stronghold they had mentally was that their mothers and their fathers before them 
had spent 40 years of rebellion in the wilderness. They refused to listen to God. They doubted the voice of God, even though God was with them every single day. We don't get to see this. The literal presence of God, a pillar of cloud by day, 40 years of this, that was so wide it covered the people from the sun. You, don't need, you didn't need sunscreen lotion. Okay, they were protected by the cloud. At night, this pillar of fire was so massive and majestic, every single one of the Israelite people were kept warm at night. So think about this, massive, they still doubted him. Every day, there was no food that they could get. God sent them food every day, and still they doubted God. Can I challenge you with this thought? Sometimes you can get so used to the presence and the power of God that you take it for granted. Someone needs to write that one down. For many years, we would bring a team to go to Malaysia, a missions team. We'll probably start it up again some point. But it's interesting as a pastor as I look back and I see what happens to the people. Many of them will go on to be stronger in the Lord. They will. You can't help but see that you are looking literally at legs growing before your very eyes. You can see the measurement in your hand as the leg is growing. You are seeing as eyes are opening and ears are hearing. They're testing it out before they couldn't hear it. And you're putting your finger next to their ear and they can hear it. You are seeing people with cancers in the stomach that look like they're pregnant going down before your very eyes. You're casting demons out. You are doing that. You're taught how to do that. And when you, and they come back, here's the problem, though. While half might go on to, to, to grow with the Lord, the other half struggle. Why? They've seen so many miracles that they come back to this church, their own church. And they think, well, I saw more miracles in Malaysia. Nothing's happening in this church. And they walk away from the Lord. It staggers the imagination. Who taught you to do these things in the first place? Your pastor and your leaders. And we showed you how to do it. Yet they become arrogant with miracles, healing, signs, and wonders. They've seen so much. And there are others still who cannot deal with coming back to a normal lifestyle that they end up walking away from God. Staggers the imagination. But I want to tell you, it's very, very important that you are stewarding the things that God is doing in this church that you are stewarding well the lessons and the teaching that God has brought into your personal devotion life. Psalm 78, verse 40 to 43 says, How often they rebelled against him in the desert and grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day he redeemed them from the oppressor. Wow. I pray to God this will not become like our church. Let me go on with this. I want to give you four secrets that will unlock strongholds in your life. And can I encourage you, just a little caveat as I begin. Don't wear a mask and hide the pain when you come to church. You've got a stronghold in your life that you just can't break. Maybe the stronghold is sexual immorality. You can't help yourself. You may be an adulterer. You may be a fornicator. I don't know. Maybe you've got a problem with porn. Seek some help. Find a brother. Find a sister. Hold yourself accountable. For some of you, it's this unforgiveness, unrelenting unforgiveness. You can't let it go. Seek some help. Make yourself accountable and get, get that prayed for. But don't hide with masks. We don't do that in this church. Can we just be real? 
in this church, that when you smile, okay, it's good, which means I can come see you because I'm struggling. But if you're struggling and you're smiling, and that person is struggling and they come to you, they don't realize this guy's a mess. They can't help you. Let us help you. I used to have, I, used to, I smile all the time. I just want you to know. I remember when I was an associate pastor on the north side, all these other pastors, Paul, why are you smiling all the time? I said, why can't you not smile? I get to do what God's called me to do. I get to pray with people. God speaks into my life. I get to release a blessing and a favor of God over people. It's changing their lives. Why would I not smile? Smile. God's got this. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Praise the Lord. Let me give you four keys to destroying strongholds of your life. Number one, remember Jericho must fall. Number one, don't let your perception weaken your determination. The Bible tells us that was the problem with the previous generation. Ten of the 12 spies went in the land and they were focusing on what they could see taste, touch, smell, and hear. That's how your body interacts with the natural world. But they completely denied the sixth sense. That is a supernatural sense, and God is spirit. You cannot sense him with your five senses. Sometimes you can. He moves so powerfully in a service, you will feel the tangible presence of God. It will break through. But for others, most of the time, it is supernatural. The Bible says, listen to this. This will blow you, your mind. Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. Let me break it down for you. Do you understand that there is an enemy that fears you and they're battling down because they think, uh-oh, here comes Katie. Uh-oh, here comes Rochelle. Uh-oh, here comes Ransford. Better bring the armies. Get some extra guys here. Come on, let's guard the walls. We're in trouble. Here they come. Meanwhile, you're thinking to yourself, oh, my goodness, the wall is so high. How can I overcome this army? If only you were a fly on the wall and you could hear the conversations that the demons have about you. I want to be, let me tell you, I want to be a nightmare for demons. When I walk into the room, they said, oh, no, it's him again. <laughs> Come on. If you are famous in heaven, they will fear you in hell. I want you to know this, that when you walk in righteousness before the Lord, even the demons tremble when you walk into the room. Why? The Bible says demons believe God and fear him and tremble. And when you have God inside of you and you walk in your room, oh, my goodness, they're trembling. Like, oh, no. What are we going to do? Get some more guys, get some more guys, get some more guys. The more trouble you find yourself into is probably because you are growing in the Lord. And the demons are fearing the saying, shut it down, quick, shut it down. Don't let them know the power they have. Meanwhile, you're fearing, you're fearing, you're looking around you, focusing on your five senses, and you shut off the sixth sense. You're not seeing and hearing what is happening in the spiritual realm. And if you are praying, if you spent any time praying, let me tell you, we are Pentecostals. We pray in tongues. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. If I pray in English, I don't see the trouble around me. But when I pray in tongues, I begin to see things. And I call things out that are not. I shut things down. How else do you have the power to bind and to loose? You can't just do that without knowing what's happening. Eyes to see, ears to hear, that we can shut down the work of the enemy and we can release 
the power of God. You're still quiet here today. I need to practice with you guys today. Hallelujah. Israel saw an impregnant in I'm trying to get this right. impregnable wall, but Jericho saw an indomitable army. The Bible says that the spies looked at the entire two spies were sent this time. Uh, Joshua is careful. He says, I'm going to send 12 and cause trouble again. I'll send two. And these two spies ended up in the house of a prostitute for protection and safety. And she had a conversation with them. She says, we know that the God that you serve has opened up the seas in front of you. We know that he causes miracles to occur and he feeds you daily. We know you have been annihilating armies because of your God doing it. And so please... Will you, if I protect you, will you protect us? Just a side note. According to the historians, they say that they, there are remnants of the, the walls of Jericho that they found, and yet there was a structure. This is literally in 19, I think it was in 1901 to 1910, those first 10 years, when researchers went out there, they actually found it, and they believed that that was Rahab's house. It was still standing in the early 1900s, just so you know the power of God. But we see ourselves as weak. We think to ourselves, I can't do this, God. You don't know who I am. Wait a minute. You sound like Moses. Oh, God, I, I stutter. I can't speak and tell him that God says, who made the tongue? Who made you to speak? I did. When God calls you to do something, you think, I can't do it. Realize God already factored that in. He's not looking for the able. He's looking for the willing. Oh, my Lord, if you get this your life will become extraordinary. Please, don't put up with apathy because God has called you to more. Somebody needs to put that down. Hashtag God has called you to more. Listen, let me tell you the story. Many years ago, it was impossible to run, a, uh, to break a five-minute mile. It was impossible. But there were two men who believed they could break it. One of them was a man called Roger Bannister an Englishman. The other, believe it or not, was an Australian, John Landon. They both believed that they could break the five-minute barrier, yet in every trial that they did, in every test, they could not break it. In fact, the people of that day, the coaches and the trainers told them it's impossible, but train this way, train this way, train this way. Roger Bannister was mocked publicly by the newspapers because he refused to train with those trainers. And he says, I'm going to train myself because I literally believe that I can break the five-minute mile. But if I continue on in the same indoctrination and culture of the trainers of the day, I will never break the five-minute mile because they don't believe you can break the five-minute mile. And so Bannister began to practice for himself. And this is the thing. Everyone's saying, you can't do it. Even the doctor said the human body cannot physically break a five-minute mile. What you're asking for is impossible. In fact, the commentators wrote, if it was a clay running, they didn't have a concrete one back then, if it was a clay track that they were running on, and if the wind was favorable, a tailwind behind them pushing them, they should be able to break, possibly break, the five-minute mile. Well, guess what? At this Commonwealth Games, at this particular time, it happened to be not a dirt track, and it also happened to be a headwind that was blowing against him. But Roger Bannister ran his heart out. He had trained. He had prepared for this. He believed he could do it. And you know what he said? One of the reasons why he broke the five-minute mile? Because he thought John Landon would if he didn't. 
Sometimes you need people that will run alongside you, that competitive spirit. Come on, I'm going to serve more. I'm going to serve God more than you know. I'm going to serve more God than you. I'm going to pray for more miracles than you know. I'm going to pray for more miracles. Sometimes we need that competitive spirit to drive us to do the great things. Sometimes I'm going to tell you, apathy will kill you. God can't use the apathetic. God can't use the safe. God wants to take you to a new level. Come on, let's keep going. Number two, secret to breaking strongholds. Your trust is a must. God says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. You can't do it. So when you say, I can't do it, yes, you're literally right, God says. You can't do it. God's saying, I can do it, and I have done it for you. Now go and do what I asked you to do. Your trust is a must. Proverbs 10, 19. There's a reason why the army was told for six days. Remember, six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. They were told under no conditions are those men allowed to talk to one another. Do not let them talk as they're walking around. So get this picture. They've got an army in the front, and then there's the Ark of the Covenant, an army in the back, and they've all been told, and they're all lined up, and they're told to go quietly. Remember, they're climbing up the hill to get around uh, the walls of Jericho. They're not allowed to speak a word. Why? Because if they were allowed to speak, do you think they'd be speaking inspirational messages? I don't think so. They would have been saying, oh, man, what are we... What do we do? I'm just so tired. Can't we just take a break? Yeah, I want a break too. Listen, I didn't have my water break. It's a really long climb up. You know, the haters and all people that complain all the time. You see them on social media. Oh, it's just too hard. I can't do this. I don't understand why Joshua's making do this. You know, when we were under Moses, we knew what we were doing. Things are much more clear under Moses. Moses was really the man of God, but Joshua is nothing at all. Why are you even listening to this guy? Do you understand? But we do that on Facebook. We do that on Instagram and some Americans, we don't really use it, Twitter. We complain about things, we gossip about things, and we wonder why we're not getting the breakthrough. Your trust is a must, but can I add to that, so is your silence. Even when you disbelieve, you think, I I don't know how God is going to do it. You don't have to work it out. Do you understand how a miracle works? It's impossible. No one can figure out how a miracle works. No one knows, but God says, I will do it. I will deliver you. Oh, man, this is so good. Have you heard of the phrase, loose lips sink ships? Do you know where it comes from? This phrase was coined in World War II as part of the U.S. Office of War Information's attempt to limit the possibility of people inadvertently giving useful information to the enemy. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, 19, I was going there. This is a good news Bible version. The more you talk, the more likely you are to sin. If you are wise, you will keep quiet. Turn to the person next to you and say, (laughs) I'm pretty wise. (laughs) I'm going to be wise. (laughs) If you're wise you will keep quiet. Here's the third key. I'm going to tra- start to wrap it up. Number three, fight for your promise. God commands them, march around the city once every day with all the armed men. What does arm mean? They've got all their weapons. They've got their armor on. 
They've got everything that they need for battle, expecting a battle that will not happen. Oh, this is something here I've got to get you to get. They were dressed for a battle that wasn't going to happen. Because God's saying, I want you to prepare for battle. I want you to be in a battle mindset. When I tell you to go do things and I told you I will deliver the city into your hands, you also have to partner with me. So get ready to fight. Put on the armor of God when you go in your battle. When the war is coming down on you, when hardship is coming and you are struggling to figure out how am I possibly going to do this, God says, put your armor on. Get ready for the battle of your life. Praise the Lord. You're very quiet today. (laughs) Thank you so much for those in the front. Yes, well done. Often, we expect God to go to battle for us, but we won't even lift a finger. You pray, and you pray once, and you think that's enough. And then you complain later when that prayer is not answered. Or you change your theology, you think, I guess God doesn't answer prayer because you didn't continue praying, and then you blame God for it. What if we became a people that actually prayed and persisted in prayer? Does it not say in the Word of God, pray continually, pray without ceasing, for this is a will of God. You pray until the breakthrough, pray until the breakthrough, pray until the situation changes. And it's like that with prayer. God promises the victory, but you need to be prepared for battle. I was looking up in uh, the archaeological study Bible notes. They said that they were told to give this loud noise at the end for a reason. It's actually psychological warfare. You see, even uh, God already knew that it was going to be a battle of the mind. It wasn't going to be a physical battle. These, those soldiers among Jericho were terrified of this supernatural army. They were indomitable. They could not be beaten. And they were worried about them. And they were trying to find tactics and things. But all the time, God was playing on that. They already feared them. And by the time on the seventh day, they gave a big shout. It terrified that army. Now they were absolutely broken, and even the walls gave in. I want to tell you, everyone has a small part to play. And you just got to do that one small thing that will turn the tide of the battle. I remember the story of Hattie Mae Wyatt when a pastor first shared this. I want to share it with you. She lived near a church where the Sunday school was so popular that they had to shoo kids away. They came late. There was just not enough room. Oh, God, that we would have that. Their kids were hungry for the word of God, and they would come rushing to Sunday school, and they couldn't fit in. And this little girl was crying outside, and the pastor spotted her. He says, why you cry? She says, because our building is too small. We need a bigger building so that we can minister to more people. Sadly, within a uh, a year later, this little girl actually, sorry, about two years later, the little girl died. And the pastor was told, was asked to officiate her funeral. So he went to her place, and uh, he was chatting with the mother, and the mother gave him a purse that this little girl had been saving up. Now, remember, this is like 1800s, and so uh, what about, I'm about to tell you seems like nothing. This girl 
had put aside 57 cents. Back then, it was a lot of money, 57 cents. That's all she had with a little note saying, please keep use this money to buy the bigger building. That's what the girl left, a little note for this pastor. And he's crying as he's reading this message. And he began to tell the church that Sunday, he says, we got to do something with this deacons, which is the board. You need to do something about this. We need to fundraise for this. Well, the, the local newspaper heard about the story, and they plastered it nationally. Money began coming in all around the United States. And that 57 cents became $250. You're thinking 50 bucks, which was enough to buy a large piece of land. More money came in, and they were able to build one of the largest churches of that time, Temple Baptist Church. Not only did it stop there, that Sunday school became Temple University, which is in existence today when I was there in the United States because that little girl listened to the Lord. Let me give you one last and final secret to destroying strongholds. Why don't we stand to our feet as I finish? Carry God's presence with you when you face your enemy. Carry God's presence with you when you face your enemy. I find that many Christians go into battle completely unaware that they carry the presence of God. They don't acknowledge the presence of God. They don't acknowledge the supernatural, and they buckle under the pressure, and they wonder why. Can I encourage you today with this word? Carry the presence of God. The size of your giant does not dictate the outcome of the battle. The size of your God does because your God is bigger than any giant. Your God is bigger than any wall. And I want to encourage you to pray for the breakthrough and carry the presence of God with you. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us very strategically, the Lord says, I want seven priests on the seventh day, and you are to march around seven times. And all this day, every single day, the priests are blowing the shofar, seven priests blowing a trumpet every single day. But now in this last and final one, the man of God, Joshua, says to them, as soon as you hear the shofar, the trumpet sound, I want you to scream with the loudest of voices. I want you to cry out unto the heavens. Fear the, the name of the Lord upon your lips. And so the trumpets began to blow. A loud and mighty trumpet blast from seven priests. The presence of God accompanying, uh, accompanying them in battle. And then there it came. For the first time after the seventh trip around, on the seventh day, the people of God, the armies of the living God, began to cry out, Sword of the Lord! The Sword of the Lord! They began to cry out the name of the Lord. And the walls of Jericho, according to the historians, crumbled. But it didn't just crumble inwards like that. Listen to this. It crumbled forwards and formed a step, steps, where they could climb easily into the city. Come on, you got to give a hand to the Lord. He thinks of the details.